is from Philippians 3, verses 1 to 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legastic righteousness, faultless. But was it, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took, my, took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is head, ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May God have his blessing on this word. Amen. Uh, and one of the things that we've been doing is we've been uh, trying to memorise verses, haven't we? Well, I hope you have. Uh, how are we going with that? It feels like a couple of weeks now, doesn't it, since we last looked at them, but we've been trying to memorise some verses. Can anyone uh, tell me a verse that they've memorised out of Philippians? It's challenge for to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a great one, isn't it? Don't just read the one up on the screen right now. We haven't got there yet. We're not into Philippians 3. I saw John looking at that. Just read the one on the screen, he says. Uh, any others? Yeah. Oh, whatever happens. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. That's a great one, isn't it? Uh, put those two together. One's in uh, the first part of Philippians chapter 1, the other one's in the second part. That's a great one. What about another one in chapter 2? Any of them there? We sang a song about it uh, that puts it into words. You remember that one? Yeah. Do not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave up everything, didn't he? Uh, to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ is one of those ones out of that one, Philippians 2. Uh, and this week, there's another one that we're going to be looking at as well. Uh, I think that's pretty pathetic. Come on, guys, pick your game up. All right. Uh, there are some amazing verses in Philippians chapter 1 through to 4. I think it's one of the best books to just pick out a number of them to have in your brain. 
and great ones that when you wake up in the morning that you can repeat to yourself or if you're going throughout the day and things are happening that whatever happens to conduct myself. Uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To have the same attitude as Christ who gave up everything for us. Humility, great one isn't it to be thinking of as well. Uh, confidence, passion, all those things come out in Philippians. Uh, and today you're going to be coming, we're going to narrow in on one verse as well a little bit as our central verse and then we're going to be thinking about that and what that looks like. But before we do that, I'm going to pray and then we'll look at it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. Uh, Lord, it is powerful. Uh, it is something that changes and challenges us. And Lord, as we read it and as your spirit applies it into our lives, Lord, uh, we are revealed for who we are. Uh, you are revealed to us and our lives before us are changed and transformed, Lord. Uh, that enthusiasm that the Spirit gives us uh, is an enthusiasm to live for you and an enthusiasm that comes as we look at your word. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray this morning that uh, uh, your Spirit, through its enthusiasm within us, uh, will drive us more and more into you and into your word, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, 28 years ago, or a little bit more than that, uh, I decided that uh, Karina was worth everything and I decided it would be good to marry her and so at that point in time I was at uni and I had no money. Uh, so what we decided was I thought well to show that I love my wife or wife-to-be it's great to buy her a ring, uh, an engagement ring, just to show just how worthy she is and that she is a treasure to me but I had no money. So how do you do that? Well, for me, it meant that I had to go start working through and thinking about all the things that I could sell to get that. Uh, and eventually I sold a couple of things, but even then, I didn't have enough money. Uh, how could I buy my wife, who I treasured so much, something that showed that she was worthy of and that, that I loved her because of that? Well, we went into a shop and we looked at a number of rings and the one that we really liked, I couldn't afford. So what I had to do was borrow money off Karina to buy her her engagement ring. She worked, I was a poor student, uh, I had nothing left to sell, uh, so I had to borrow money to buy the engagement ring so to show how much I loved her. Uh, I wonder if you ever done that? Maybe not borrow the money to buy that, but you've seen something that is so worthy that it's worth selling stuff for or giving up other things for. Uh, something that is such a treasure for you. Uh, one true treasure. I wonder whether actually you're doing it now, even unconsciously. Maybe now you're actually giving up lots of things for this one treasure. Uh, maybe it's for your family. Maybe it's for your kids. Maybe it's for your job. Maybe it's for your career. Maybe it's you name it. Maybe we're all doing it in some ways. Maybe there's things we don't even realise in our lives that we've treasured and we've made them the one true treasure in our life. Well, in the passage that we just looked at that Heather read to us, there was a verse that tells us what is the one true treasure. What is worth more than anything else? Did anyone pick it up? I love challenging you, don't I? See, it's not just about what I say to you. I want you to get into the Bible. I want you to learn for yourselves and have a look. Have a look in your passage there. Open your Bibles up. Have a look. 
and see whether you can see it. There is one verse that takes us to that one true treasure. Powers of resurrection. It's verse 8, isn't it? Uh, if you look at verse 8, it says, I, Indeed, I count everything at loss because of the surpassing worth or the surpassing treasure of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's a big statement, isn't it? Paul says he counts everything a loss. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. It's easy to read, but is it a reality for you? It's a challenge, isn't it? To count everything as lost. Nothing is as great as knowing Jesus. And we might have that in our heads, but do we see that in our lives? Is that worked out in how we live? Is that seen in how we think and how we act? You see, because knowing Christ is the only thing that will bring you eternal life and eternal joy. Knowing Jesus is the only thing that will give you life now that will last forever and a joy that will ground you now and will blow your mind in eternity. Well, it's easy to put down, isn't it? It's easy just to state that, but we don't always feel that, do we? We have that deflation that Heather mentioned before. There are times when we feel that against us and there's times that we put our treasures in other places, thinking that that's what's going to give us the joy, that's what's going to give us the life. But you see, anything other than Jesus will deflate you. Anything other than Jesus will steal your life and steal your joy. Now, Paul uh, doesn't just leave it at words, but Paul actually in this passage outlines that and puts that together and brings that together for us. And he shows us that Jesus is the one true treasure. He's the one that will give us that life and he's the one that will give us that joy. And even in the world that's around us, we're going to get dragged away from that, but ultimately it's the only one that will hold us. And he says that from personal experience. He actually gives his testimony. So from verse 1 through to verse 8, or just before that, is almost Paul's testimony about this. Uh, verse 8 pulls it all together, but his verses 1 to 7 sort of outline where Paul was going to find his life and his joy and how that didn't work. And he comes to the conclusion, doesn't it, Jesus Christ is the one treasure you cannot afford to live without. So let's see what Paul says in his testimony. Come with me and have a look at some of the passages with me. Look there verse at verse 2, if you'd like. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, uh, Paul says, Watch out for those dogs. Now when he says dogs, he's not talking about those little white fluffy things called multi shih that sit on your lap and you pat, or that big floppy-eared Labrador golden retriever. He's not talking about those cute little things. He's talking about packs of dogs that go through the streets that eat and destroy people and things. It's not a nice term at all. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus 
and who put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, Paul uses three very strong terms here, doesn't he? Uh, what he's saying is uh, for him and for the Philippians, there seems like there's a group of people there who actually want to take them back to a previous life. In fact, they want to chain them again to what they used to believe. You see, back in Philippians, uh, these have been Christians. He's still speaking to Christians. But in amongst these Christians, there's Jewish Christians who are saying that, hold on, Jesus is okay, but actually you need to be living by the law and being circumcised and become Jewish. And Paul says what they're trying to do is they're trying to chain you again. They're trying to drag you in and chain you to something other than Jesus, to take you back to the things that Jesus set you free from. See, Jesus has set them free from that because laws and religions are the biggest bullies ever. Absolutely. Uh, some of you might have heard uh, that uh, Dave Cook mentioned that on the weekend as well. You see, law and religion are bullies that hold it over you that if you don't do these things, then you're not good and you won't be saved. And they bully you into doing things. And that's what they wanted to take them back to. They want to take them back to that. They want to take them back to bind them there. But Jesus set them free from that. And he set us free from that, guys. We don't need to go back to the Old Testament, to the laws and religions and the way that they were set up back then and the sacrifices. We don't need to do them anymore. We've been set free from them. They now show us why we need Jesus. That's what they were there for. Yes, at the time, they were helpful for people to try and work out what it was to know who God was like and what he was, but they were there to show them that they couldn't do it. They needed to be set free from it. And you and I need to be set free from that too. Now, if you've grown up in the church or if you've been in church for a long time, I'll guarantee you that there have been times when you've wanted to be bound. There are times when you've wanted to be chained or you've felt like you've been chained that different denominations tend to move towards law rather than grace over time. And it's so sad, isn't it? Presbyterians are the same, by the way. We're not the, we're not the golden childs here. Uh, it's happened in all of them. And we've got to be careful, don't we? We've got to be careful that we don't get chained again to think that it's something other than Jesus that's saved. It's something other than Jesus that will bring us joy. Last term or last year, remember we did this series on Galatians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus something equals nothing. They're dogs, mutilators of the fresh, evildoers. That's what Paul says about it. And we're going to be careful, don't we? We're going to be careful that we don't decide that a type of baptism is the only type of baptism, infant or adult. That it's got to be fully immersed or sprinkled. He's been brought up on that at different times. We've got to be careful, don't we, that it's not one particular version of the Bible. It's only the King James Version. If you're not reading the King James Version, then... Oh, it's only the NIV. You can only read the NIV. It's only the, Or the ESV, or the GNV, or the NIV. Can I tell you, they're all translations, guys. 
They're all translations of the Hebrew and the Greek, so none of them are the original. Okay? None of them are the original. They're all translations of the original. They're all good, by the way. Some of them have got, they're not perfect, though, because they've been translated by humans. But they've got the truth. They are 99% accurate, but they're using words to explain what God is eternal truth from Hebrew and Greek. Oh, well, if you've not been speaking in tongues, then you're not a Christian. Oh, you haven't had the special anointing of the Spirit, and you're not a Christian. Oh, you've only got to sing hymns. Oh, you've only got to sing contemporary songs. Oh, you've got to be, have baptism and communion and the sacraments. Dog, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh are anyone who wants to add to Jesus. They're strong terms, aren't they? They're very strong terms. Paul is writing a book about rejoicing and joy and then he throws in these really strong terms. Doesn't he? You think, whoa, they're, they've just knocked me back a little bit. Because they hit the core of the gospel. They hit the core of what it's all about. They detract from Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we've got to be so careful that we don't fall into that. Because Paul says, not only does law and religion and any other thing that you want to add to that bind you and hold you, they steal joy, they steal your life. But he goes on to say that even if you've got the greatest heritage, the greatest background, that's not even going to save you. Look at what he says there in verses 5 onwards. This is Paul's personal testimony in verses 5 to 6. He's trying to show that even if you could possibly be saved by being anything and doing anything, Paul should have been saved. When he says, Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He had it. Heritage, lineage, actions, passion. He had it all. Today you've got to say, well, uh, he's got Scottish descent. He wears a kilt every other day. Uh, he reads the King James Version. He's from the Free Kirk. Uh, he, he does this. He turns up to church. He's only, he's got, it sounds like he's got everything, doesn't it? But he says, I've got nothing. None of that counts. Your heritage doesn't count, guys. If you've grown up in a Christian household, that doesn't make you a Christian. You've been going to church for all your life, that doesn't make you a Christian. You've been in this particular domination, that does not make you. You are not saved because of your heritage or your lineage or the fact that you've done any particular sacrament in your life, baptism, Lord's Supper, they're the ones, the common ones for us now. think we've got those all sorted, we're right. Paul says, I count them but loss. Because there is nothing counts for anything apart from knowing Jesus. That's what it is. That's what brings us the life. That's what brings us the joy. 
Now, don't get me wrong, you can go and work out and look through the Bible and, and, and get your th understanding right and all those things I mentioned before, whether you want to speak in tongues or not speak in tongues, whether you want to be baptised or not be baptised, whether you take the Lord's Supper or don't take the Lord's Supper, whether you sing, get in, you know, get in there, work it out, understand it, but never, ever think that that's what saves us or that's what makes us right with God. Paul says, no. Nothing but Jesus, guys. Nothing but Him. You see, I think we go around, don't we? We think uh, uh, we put up all these light bulbs, we put up all these things, we think they're going to be the right thing to do, but they're all dead. There's only one that shines, and that's Jesus. There's only one we need to look to, and it's Him. Uh, I love those machines, those games. You know those games in the arcade where you go around and you play them and the better score you get, the more tickets you get. And you hit things and you bonk things and you get things. The kids and I used to love them. We used to go into the arcades and you go and you get these tickets and they'd spew them out and you get as many tickets as you can. One day I remember the kids and I spent an hour and we just went around all the games and we got all the tickets that we could have. We had piles of tickets and we thought, oh, great, because you take those tickets up to the counter and you get the prize. You get the treasure. So we took them all up there, plonked them on the thing, put them down and said, okay, what do I get? And the person looked at them, counted them. Uh, you get from this cabinet here. And we looked at that cabinet there. Rubber balls, fake snakes, plastic spiders. But what about this cabinet? It's got stereos and all. No, no, you get this one over here. Sad, isn't it? Oh, it's just, yeah, you think, oh, I've got all the tickets, I've got to get the prize, it's mine. And, and we can do that too, can't we, with our Christian life? We think, I've got all the tickets. Come on, God, I've got all the tickets. Give me the treasure. No, 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 no. None of them count. None of them count. Only one. And that's Jesus. The one true light bulb. The one true treasure Jesus is it and Paul says that is what he would give up everything for to know him now by that Paul is saying when he says no it's not just a knowledge here it's a heart felt complete experience that's what he means by no actually getting, when you know somebody you may say, oh yeah, I know that person down the street, you know their name but when you know someone then you've spent time with them, haven't you? And you know their life, and you know their comings and goings and you know, their, you know what they like and what they don't like, that's what it means to know someone and that's what Paul's saying here, that's what he wants to have, is to know Christ. When we know him then we have life forever, when we know him then we have joy forever. And Paul says he doesn't stop at that, does he? He, doesn't, he says, I want to know that. I want to know that. I want to experience that. And he says something phenomenal. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the Lord, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Uh, he, he set up like a, an accounting ledger here. So he's got the ledger up. It's got the thing down the middle, debit, credit, down the bottom, 
the prize. The credit side, he thought he had all the things right, didn't he? The heritage, the lineage, he'd done all the right things, he'd been religious. But when he looked at all that, it added up to nothing. The only way to get from debit to credit is Jesus, he says. He's the only one that takes us across, the only one that puts us there, and it's faith in him and him alone. I read during the week as I was looking into the, the, the passage about a guy called John Patton, not the American general, uh, but another guy who was uh, John Patton, who was a missionary. And in the country that he was in, they didn't have a word for faith. And so he was trying to work out how can he explain this to these people. So that's where translation comes, okay, by the way. That's when you translate, how do you work out words that translate things? Okay, so he was trying to work out how do I translate the word faith. And he he struggled for a while. And then one day a a person came up to him who was in deep, deep trouble and and was in a situation that didn't know what to do. And and the person was a a local and and he came up and he said, John, can I lean heavily into you? Can I lean heavily into you? That's what faith is, isn't it? It's leaning heavily into Jesus. It's trusting in him. It's putting our life in his hands. Leaning heavily into him. And that's hard in our individualistic world, isn't it? In our society that tells us it's all about you and you can get away and you can do everything. Sometimes I think it's a nice sentiment, but it's just garbage. We can't. We don't. When we look at England now. It's broken, isn't it? You know, the situation. I mean, that's just one example in this world. Look at our own individual lives. Our own individual lives are broken. We cannot and will not ever stand on our own two feet by ourselves. It's a lie of this society, guys. It will not happen because we weren't designed to be like that. We're designed to lean heavily into Jesus as we lean heavily into him that he'll enable us to stand and he gives us to help us do that doesn't he but not only does he say lean heavily into him but look what he says in verse 10 oh that's a good I should, this is worth me coming back to <laughs> uh, this is a great statement from the reformation uh, which we have grown out of uh, and it's this it's a great statement salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the wall and and this is the core of it really. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else cuts it. And Paul says not only that, that's what sets you free. Look what he says in verse 10. And, and I don't know whether... I, I haven't quite worked out exactly what this means, by the way. And I don't know whether we're ever going to. But it's a phenomenal statement. I want to know Christ. So I want to know Jesus deeply, intimately. I want to lean into him heavily. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead... Uh, that's not somehow, and he's unsure about it, but this is where he wants to be. But listen to what he says. He says that he wants to know the power of his resurrection. 
That's a phenomenal statement. When you think of power, what do you think of in this world? What's the most powerful thing you can think of in this world? I've been... Spaceship, yeah, blasting out of the thing. That is powerful, isn't it? Phenomenal. Computer chips. They are powerful for what they can do and compute. Uh, I've been reading a story about a guy called Louis Zamperetti. If you want to read an amazing story, read that story. Um, but he was a POW during the Second World War and the way that he got out of Japan was because of the atomic bomb. When you look at that, that is powerful, isn't it? Destructive powerful, but powerful. But none of them come close to bringing people back from the dead. The power of the resurrection, the most powerful force in life that no one here can ever escape is death. So that's the most powerful force. We're all heading there. We're all being dragged towards it. There's nothing that we can do that will not take us there at some point in time. We can't. We're going there. That's the most powerful force that this world knows. But the resurrection is more powerful because it takes us out of death. Brought Jesus back from the dead. And he wants to know that power in his life. The power of the resurrection from within. To experience that bubbling out of him. That enthusiasm that's the spirit isn't it, that works within us and drives out from us. Wow! That's phenomenal, isn't it? it? Blows my mind to think that that power is something that we can have or that we have a taste of that we will have ultimately. But Paul wants to experience it now. Have you ever prayed for that? Pray that you have the power of the resurrection within you, that you experience that. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? How about we be praying that for each other? How about we be praying that, that we know that and we experience that? That's part of knowing Jesus. It's phenomenal. And becoming like him. And in becoming like him, the power of the resurrection doesn't mean that suddenly everything's rosy, by the way, does it? The power of the resurrection doesn't mean you've all got it sorted. The power of the resurrection doesn't mean that you can go around with a smile on your face every day and just say, everything's great. That's not it, is it? Because he says the power of the resurrection in suffering. That's what it's to be like. Paul knows this is real. He knows this world is garbage. He knows this world is broken and he says, but within it we can have the power of the resurrection to be like Jesus within it. To come through that suffering. This is a great quote uh, by Martin Luther. Oh, can you read that? You can read it better than me. Uh, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? It's, it's a good quote, isn't it? We are not going to break free of the brokenness here until we're in eternity, but we can have the power of the resurrection within it while we're here to live through it and to live through it in a way that enables us to go on to live for Jesus and to have that eternal joy that can be within us while we're in the middle of it. It enables us to live like Jesus within it. That's what Paul's saying, isn't it? He counts everything of life, but the knowing Jesus, he wants to know the power of that within his life. But he knows he doesn't say, well, okay, once you're in, 
You're through the door. Okay, kick back, get on your lounge, sit down with your beer and say, okay, God, let's go. Woohoo, I've got it all sorted. I'm here, I'm comfortable. God, let's just make it happen, brother. Come on. No, 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 no. He says, pursue it. Go hard for it. And he says in verse 12, not that I've already attained all this. Paul hasn't found all this yet. I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And later on down verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Paul says he pursues it. He goes hard for it. He goes, this is what he wants. and I'm going to drive towards that. I'm going to get to know Jesus more. I'm going to actually pursue him. Press on. Take hold. They're action words, aren't they? He actually says, this is, this is something we need to get into and we need to do to be part of. We're in the door, yes, but let's go hard at it. Now we're there. Don't sit back in your armchair now and say, I'm all good. No, no, no. Go hard for this. Forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead, I press on. Paul's not saying that you need to negate what's gone in the past. He knows who's made him and who he is. He knows what he was like. He said that beforehand, doesn't he? But he says, that is not where I stay. I'm not staying here. I'm going there. I'm pressing on. I'm going forward. I'm going to move towards this goal. I'm going to move towards knowing Jesus more in my life. And as we pursue Jesus, we also pursue joy. If you go back to verse 1, no, I've jumped you back a bit, but this is where Paul started in the very first part of this chapter. He says, Therefore, or furthermore, my brothers and sisters, that is, those who know Jesus, rejoice in the Lord. This is not a, oh, if you feel like it, rejoice. Oh, you know, if it's all going good for you, rejoice. Oh, if you just, you know, just if you've got the feeling, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. It's actually a command. Paul is saying that this is what I command you to do, rejoice. Come on, Paul, you don't know what I've been through. You know what my life has been like. You don't know the situation I've been in, the circumstances in. Now you tell me to rejoice, brother. Well, he does. But he doesn't do it without telling you why and how. Does he? That's what the rest of this chapter is about. Because it's Jesus that was taking you from death to life. That was taking you from life of debit to a life of credit with Jesus. He's taking you from unrighteousness to righteousness. He's moved you from living a life without the power of the resurrection to being life with the power of the resurrection within. Living a life without purpose to a life with purpose to press on towards the goal. That's how we can rejoice. when we seek that and when we pursue that. And so we need to pursue joy. And in pursuing joy, then we pursue Jesus. That's how we have the joy. And we've been going on about this the whole of this term. I'm going to keep banging away at you. How do we pursue Jesus? 
Well, first and foremost, we need to get into his word, the Bible. Hey, don't get me wrong, there's lots of other things that we can do that can help us with that. But if we're not doing that, then the rest of it's garbage. Because where do we find out about Jesus? In his word. That's where the Spirit opens up our eyes and applies it into our lives and brings it into our hearts. And we've been encouraging you, haven't you? Read the Bible, just read it for yourself. Just read it with others. Just read it with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. That's been our little mantra this whole term. How are you doing it? Some of us are going. Some of us are going. Now, don't remember, it's not Jesus plus having to read the Bible yourself and reading the Bible with someone else. And that's not your salvation. Don't get me wrong, I'm not loading a law or a rule on you. But this is God's gracious way to help you know Jesus. That's what it is. So can I encourage you? You know, look, I've got no kids at home now. My wife can look after herself most of the time, so I can actually go and read the Bible a bit. All right? Don't get me wrong, I know it's tough. I've had four kids. They have been crazy kids too. You think you've got crazy kids? You should have seen mine when they were babies. I saw that today the charters have come in with little Darcy and a broken foot and you think, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Hannah broke both her arms. Alexander broke his leg and we didn't know for three days. You know, it's crazy. there are crazy times. I, I know that and I appreciate that. But can I tell you, the best time... And the best thing for your family and your kids is to know Jesus. To know the power of his resurrection. To experience that as you get into his word. Yourself and with others. So I know it's busy and I don't want to overload you with another thing to do in one sense. But can I say this is the one thing you need to be doing. Can I encourage you to do that? Uh, last week, in our, that we were supposed to have our encouragement night, Gospel Community Encouragement Night, Les and I were going to put together something to help you with that, uh, if you find that difficult. Uh, we will still try and get something together to help you with that, because I know sometimes you think, well, where do I start? What do I do? What do I look at? Well, we'll give you some things that will help you just work through the Bible in a simple way, or give you a devotion that will help you work through the Bible, or an app. There are a number of apps out there that can help you do that as well now. You know, Forget the paper bit, just go to your phone. Um, we'll help you with that, and we, we appreciate that, but can I just, can't stress it more. To know Jesus, get into his word, yourself and with others. Because that's the other thing. We, we, God has given us each other. Uh, Paul is writing to dear brothers and sisters. He's writing, writing to the church. He's writing to the people. He's saying, guys, I know that you can't stand by yourself. I know it's tough to run the race by yourself. I know to pursue and work, it's hard to do this by yourself. So I've given you each other to do life together, to drop in on each other and share part of the scriptures that you've been reading and pray for each other. Uh, someone did that for me this week. He just dropped by uh, he knew something had happened during the week and it had been tough and he just dropped in and we sat down and had a beer, one beer, and we prayed. 
took 15 minutes and it was a beer and it was great. But we talked about what God was doing in his word and then prayed. Drop in on each other. You don't have to have a beer. You don't like a cup of tea. It's just as good. Coffee, water, or nothing. Just grab someone. Uh, just recently I've been thinking I don't get out enough in town and I've been going up to the headland and just sitting on the headland. Praying, reading God's word and then praying for the town. There's a great rock just down in front, you know, under the, if you go at the top there, there's that walkway that goes up to the, the sort of round one there. You walk underneath there and go down, there's this rock and you can just sit out and just pray. Ah, that's the one. That's, his, that's like the special surfing spot. Don't tell anyone where it is. Can I just encourage you? We don't do anything, guys. Let's just start doing that together. Get, gather here on Sunday. Fantastic. Don't miss it. Gather during the week in our gospel communities and drop in on each other. Do life with each other. Because Paul says he counts everything as loss apart from the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, his Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that, that Lord, you have given us Jesus. That in him is life, in him is joy. In him, Lord, nothing compares. Heavenly Father, we pray now that we will know you more and more, that we will know the power of your resurrection within our lives. And that within that it will drive us to live lives that can have joy in suffering, that can have joy in living our lives for you around us, with the people around us, Lord, to be like you in every circumstance and situation. Whatever happens, that we live lives to your glory. that's something we can't do by ourselves Lord we pray that by your spirit you will enliven us and drive us and bring us Lord into that wonderful knowledge of you that enthusiasm of your spirit Lord may it well up within us and come out of us in every way Lord and Lord may we be able to say with Paul but we count everything for loss apart from the treasure of knowing Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name.